Hey guys, Martina here. Real quick, I'm excited to announce that I'll be doing my first giveaway. So if you like free stuff, listen through to the end of this episode. I'll be announcing how you can enter and what I'm giving away. So I'm telling you, you don't want to miss it. All right. Welcome to the Testimony Service Podcast, the podcast that will encourage you, increase your faith, and draw you closer to God. I'm your host, Martina. The Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. So in an effort to help our listeners' faith increase, each episode will begin with the scripture. And the scripture for today comes from Psalm 111, verses 2 and 3. Great are the works of the Lord. They are pondered by all who delight in them. Glorious and majestic are his deeds, and his righteousness endures forever. And now for episode 14, Breaking Free. My name is Dr. Delon Radabaugh, and I am originally from Houston, Texas. Always got to give a shout out to the hometown, um, but I'm from Denver, Colorado. And I am so excited to be a part of the podcast. I think this is phenomenal. I love to give my testimony. So I've written a book and my book is called Breaking Free. And it's from rejection and betrayal to forgiveness and healing. And I wrote this book because there's been a lot of issues in my life that caused me to have to deal with rejection, but didn't really know how. And I know a lot of people and I see people that have a lot of unresolved stuff. And because they have all this unresolved stuff, they, they have a lot of problems in their relationships. They have problems in their careers and they're just generally unhappy and not because they're horrible people, but they just have some stuff that they have not had a chance to resolve or didn't know how to resolve. And so God gave me um, to write this book. And my personal testimony, as far as the rejection goes, is I learned about rejection when I was about eight years old. Now, granted, I didn't know it was rejection because I didn't know the word, but I knew the emotion. I knew the feeling. And I didn't need a word to go with it. I knew what this thing felt like. And that for an eight-year-old, that's really all you need. A kid knows when they feel some kind of way. And so at eight years old, I came home from school and my mother had company at the house. And she, she was sitting there and she was this beautiful lady. And I thought, wow, she's really glamorous. You know, she looked really nice. And I just thought she was so fantastic. And, you know, she came with gifts. So I was She had me right then. She had little gifts that were just for me. And I was so excited. But my excitement changed when the announcement came because they wanted me to know who she was. She was my mother, my actual birth mother. And imagine for an eight-year-old, that didn't make any sense to me because mama was mama. I've had a mama all this time. And so who decided I needed another one and what for? But they had to tell me the truth because there were some things that were being said and they needed to explain it to me. So the things that were being said was, well, she's not your real mama anyway. Your mama went to prison. Your mama does drugs. Your mama's been in jail. Your mama has a bunch of babies. And I'm like, my mama has me and my brother. That's it. So because those things were being said, they had to go ahead and tell me the truth. 
And that was the first time that rejection came into my life that I recognized. And so immediately I didn't want her. I didn't want her gifts. I didn't want anything. All I wanted was the mama I had. I wanted all of this to go away, but that's not how it happened. And so when she left, I started to look at people differently. Because then as a little girl, my questions were, how did she just get rid of her kid? And then as I got a little older, those questions became, why did she let this happen? What's wrong with me? And even as a little girl, I remember looking at other kids and thinking, now what's different about her? Because she still has her mom. And then I started thinking, well, wait. What if that's not really her mom? And so it just caused me to have all these questions because I couldn't ask questions. You pretty much were told this is what it is. You're going to accept it and we're going to move on from here. My family did not think that children needed explanations. They didn't think that we we needed to know the details of grown folks business. So I didn't have any answers. I couldn't ask anybody. So that meant I had to figure it out. So unfortunately, I started filling in the blanks on my own. And when I started filling them in, what I came to was rejection. Oh, she didn't keep me because she didn't want me. There must be something wrong with me. So then my other friends are like, oh, my God, you have two moms. I only have one mom and my mom does this and my mom does that. So then I started comparing myself and, you know, girls have a tendency to do that. And we don't often know where that comes from. But for me, comparing myself with another female, another woman, another girl, whatever, was because I was not trying to figure out if I was better than her or she was better than me. But I was trying to figure out why were we different? What was the difference that made her mom say, I'm keeping my baby and made my mom say, I'm not. And so I learned rejection and it went on for years because I had to be the only one to fill in the blanks. And what I found out was the family that I was raised in, they knew that mama was not my mama. They knew that their family member raising me was we weren't related, but they didn't want me to know. So then I walk into rooms and people start conversations and then they stop. Then I get about 10 or 12 and people start making comments like, oh, she walked just like her mama. Oh, she act. And then they stop. But nobody wanted to tell me what they knew. So everybody kind of this conspiracy was happening in my life. And it happened even when I knew who she was. They didn't want me to know what she was because they didn't like her. They had already decided she was a terrible person. And so all the gossip and the tea and the juice and whatever that they knew, they would discuss it amongst themselves. But then I got the backlash of it. One of my aunts actually told my mom, she didn't know I heard the conversation, but she told my mother who raised me. And um, I refer to her as mama because she raised me and she's always my mama. Mama's sister told her, you should get that little girl back. She ain't going to be nothing good. She's going to be just like her trifling mama. If you don't watch it, she's going to have a house full of babies with a whole bunch of daddies. She's going to end up in jail. You know, her mama used to uh, do drugs and was prostituting. And, you know, she she act just like her. So she's going to be just like her. And so the, re- the rejection was all around me, even though people were hugging me and doing what they thought was loving on me. Behind my back, they were talking about what I would never become. 
And then it got to the point where they didn't, I was old enough now that they could just say it in front of me. And because I'm a kid, you know, I wasn't going to say anything. They knew I wasn't going to say anything. And so rejection became a part of my common thread. It was a part of my life. And as I got older, when I got into my teens, I had a pure hatred for my mother and my father because my father, while he was around, he wasn't active in my life, but he had other kids and he was active in their lives. And at one point we all lived in the same neighborhood. So I saw him being active in their lives. So by the time I hit 15, 16, I couldn't care less about either one of them. And it wasn't not just that I couldn't care less, but I actually hated them. I didn't want to hear their names. I did not want to be around them. I did not want you to compare me, attach me to them. Oh, she looked like her mother. To me, that meant I was ugly because they had already made it clear to me that everything about her was ugly. And then I'm raised in a family where I don't look like anybody. They're tall, I'm short, they're light, I'm dark. I have a gap in my teeth. None of my cousins have gaps. And everything about me was undesirable. It didn't fit in. And so it bred, and I don't wanna say a self-hate, cause I don't think I ever hated myself, I think I was just really upset about what God had done. And I can remember being 16 and going to the park and I had an argument with God and I was the only one arguing. And I told God I was really angry with him that he let this happen to me and that he gave me to people who didn't even want me. And why would you ruin me like that? And if I wasn't worth it in the first place, then I never should have been born. And I can tell you that that's the first time that suicide came into my mind. I was 16 years old. And so I understood rejection in ways that little kids shouldn't have understood it. It became something I had to be concerned about when other kids were not concerned about it. Like I said, I didn't know the word at eight years old, but I knew what it was. And as I grew older, I began to find out, wait, my mother has five other kids. How come she raised the boys and got rid of her daughter? What woman doesn't want a girl? And so then... All of those things just was rejection to me and rejection to me. And then once the hatred set in, then the unforgiveness set in. And I couldn't I couldn't deal with them the way I should have been able to. And it caused me to have a lot of regrets as I got older because my rejection and my betrayal and my hatred and my unforgiveness, it made me make some choices that are still affecting me now. I'm 51 years old. I made choices at 16 that are still a problem in my life right now because I hated where I came from. And because I hated my father, when he died, I wouldn't even go to the funeral. He called, he called, he called. I wouldn't get on the phone with him because I hated him. And I felt like you picked the kids you wanted. You don't want me. You don't need me. I don't need you. Well, the problem with that was real betrayal happened when I turned 24. I found out that he wasn't my dad either. And when I found that out, the effect of that was the first part of that, I was happy. I was like, oh, good, because they didn't want me anyway. So now I don't have that issue. Right. And I was like, well, good. But then it set in. Then who is? And is that why my daddy was calling me? Because he was going to finally tell me the truth. 
Was he going to apologize for the things that happened when I was little, the times that he drove past me and didn't stop, the times that he didn't show up for things I was doing? Was he going to fix that? I never gave him the opportunity. And because I took that from him, I took it from me. And because I took it from me, I took it from my kids. Because now I don't have answers that my kids could have because my hatred and my anger would not allow me to have conversation with him. And I'm a kid. You're 17. You don't know everything you think you know. So I'm not hard on myself about that. But I certainly recognize the fact that I made a poor choice and I know why I made it. And I've done everything I can from then to make different choices. And the choice I made next was I would have a relationship with my birth mother, that I would forgive her and try to understand her and have a relationship with her. Because the truth was, while I had my mama that raised me, I needed my mother. My mother that raised me, she couldn't tell me some stuff that my mama could tell me. She could only take me so far. I needed to see somebody that looked like me face to face to hear where they came from. I needed a real lineage, not a fabricated, manufactured, adopted thing because they had to fabricate my life. They had to manufacture a past for me. I wanted to know who my mother really was, not who people said she was. And so I started a relationship with her. And as I began to forgive her and get to know her, and by the time I turned 24, I got saved, that made all the difference in the world. Because once God came into my life, I understood things differently. And I began to see God's plan in my life. I began to see that the reason that he didn't let her raise me was because she didn't have the skills. At 17, I hated her for that. But at 24 and at 30, I loved God for showing me that and then showing me how to love her in spite of who she was. Because what I was asking her to do was to be somebody she could never be. She didn't have, it wasn't in her. It was like asking you to have blue eyes. They're brown. You're not going to get up tomorrow and because I want them to be blue, they're going to be blue. She could only give me what she had, but I needed to be saved so that God could help my heart so that God could deal with me and show me a better way to deal with her and then show me how to love her in spite of all its other stuff. Like he loved me in spite of all my stuff. And that was, that became my testimony is I learned to love past people's issues, past their situations, past what they did. And that doesn't mean I liked what they did and I wasn't always good at it, but I learned to practice it. And God gave me a heart for my mother. And a lot of my family that raised me didn't understand that. Well, she did you dirty. How could you, you know, she rejected you. She wasn't there for you. Your twin died. All of this bad stuff happened and she wasn't even there. I get that. I get it. But there was also a set of circumstances that brought her to those decisions. Whether I like them or not, they're the decisions she made. And now I have to make a decision about who I'm going to be. Am I going to spend the rest of my life hating her and missing out on having that relationship and doing what I did with my father, who I thought was my father? Or am I going to love her and try to heal with her? Because maybe she's going to tell me some stuff that's going to undo what I told myself. And she did. By the time 
I, I kind of, my mother that raised me, she was good at, you know, you look good today. That's where your hair like that. You look nice, be presentable. She was good at that. But it was something different when my birth mother said, oh my God, you are chocolatey goodness. Then I was just like, you, you know, I was nine years old. She took me all the way back to being eight because she gave me what I needed from my mother. And so as I began to have relationship with her and spend more time with her, I started to love the things about me that I didn't love when I was little, that I didn't love when I was 12, that I didn't love when I was 16. Those things became amazing to me because now I had a frame of reference. It wasn't people telling me stuff because they were trying to fill in for what I didn't have. Because some of that didn't feel genuine to me. Some of that felt like it had to be said so I wouldn't feel bad about myself. But it, I still knew that if, you, if you're hugging me and saying, oh my gosh, you're such a pretty girl. But when I'm outside playing, I hear you telling my mother, you need to get rid of her because she ain't going to be nothing. Then you saying I'm pretty says I ain't going to be nothing. You see, and so I couldn't, I couldn't make those distinctions. So once I got that relationship with her, then I could see why I'm a little feisty. That's not a bad thing. Okay, that's okay. I'm a little sassy. That's not a bad thing. Okay, that's okay. Because they were traits that were the things that people loved about my mother. And they became the things that I loved about her. And loving her was not contingent upon all the mistakes that she made in my life. She made some big ones, big ones. And we got into it about them on more than one occasion because I refused to agree with her that it was the best decision you could make. It was the best decision you could make for you. And I can respect that, but I can't respect you saying it was the best decision you could make for me because you had to know that getting rid of your kid was not the best decision for me, especially if I ended up someplace where I was harmed, I was abused, I was molested. And these were not people that you were not aware of before I got over there. So we had some issues, but the bottom line was forgiveness had to happen for me to be happy with me. It didn't have to happen for me to be happy with her. It had to happen for me to be happy with me. And that, that is what God taught me. And when I think about all the time that I spent feeling so unworthy and feeling like nobody could love me, because naturally, if your own mama can't love you, you have to be unlovable. And I wasted a lot of time with that rejection and that betrayal and feeling like, well, why didn't y'all just tell me the truth? Because now I feel betrayed that you let me live a lie. And we all went to the family reunion and everybody got me a T-shirt, but you all knew that I wasn't your family. Why not just tell me what, what was the problem? But everybody, for whatever reason, and to be honest, I still don't know why we kept some of these secrets. But for whatever reason, that's what we did. And later it made me feel betrayed. I felt like you took something from me that you did not have a right to take from me. And when people think about betrayal, there's more than just infidelity. There's more than just physical betrayal. You can betray people emotionally. There's other ways to betray people and you can take things from people intentionally. And that's what they did. They took my childhood. They took my heritage. They took my lineage. They took my identity. And I realized that some of it was done from a good place. That's part of the healing process. That's where forgiveness comes in, where you have to understand that everybody's not out to get you. 
some things people do because it comes from a good place, it can still hurt you, even though it came from a good place. And that's where healing and forgiveness, you have to be like, okay, I I get it. I get it. You didn't want me to think this, this, and that, but you didn't talk to me. So you didn't know I was already thinking it. And so I had to undo all of that. And nobody but God did that for me. God came in and God changed the way I saw things. He made me see things in a different light. And the anger that I had all those years, it's so funny how quickly God can fix something. Because the minute I started spending time with her, it was almost like that stuff was gone. Like that anger, I I would see her and just light up. I would be so happy. And I would forget to be mad. Like, I'm supposed to be mad at her. Oh, And I would forget because she would make me so happy. Just the time, just the conversation. And God just started rooting that thing out. And before I knew it, it wasn't there. Now, we still had arguments about certain things. I still got upset about certain things, but I didn't have anger towards her where I hated her or I couldn't forgive her or I never want to speak to you again. Those things were not there. And that took God. And so when I write when I'm writing, I'm always saying, God, what, what is this message? What are we telling people? And, and what's different about where we are and what I'm writing that hasn't been said or done? Because I, I, you can only repeat stuff so long. What's the difference? And God began to show me that there is an intentional piece that we're missing in the church. We're telling people to forgive, but we're also in some instances, making them think that it's a wham, bam, boom, forgiveness happens. There's a process that has to happen. And somebody said to me once when I said that, he said, well, I think that's garbage because Jesus didn't need a process to forgive you. I said, you're absolutely right, but I'm not Jesus. I don't have it perfect like he had it. He came here without sin. I came here with sin. So what's in me has to be worked out of me. And that means that's going to take a process. I'm not going to get up tomorrow and boom, because I confess Jesus Christ, I'm going to forgive everybody. I'm never going to have any more pain. There'll never be another issue in my life. Everything is going to be roses. That's not true. And so God began to show me that there's a process that has to happen. And in that process, forgiveness means you have to be intentional because your emotions are never going to say to you, girl, get that up. Your emotions are always going to say to you, remember when she blah, 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 but wait, don't let her get too close because remember, blah, blah, blah. You have to be intentional because you can say, I forgive you today. And that same person can walk through the door and something in you makes you sick. It's because you haven't, you haven't forgiven. It's not, the process hasn't completed. Yes, the declaration's been made and it has to be made, but the process isn't done. And so God began to show me that you have to be intentional. You have to make up in your mind that you're going to forgive them no matter what. Does that mean reconciliation? Not always, even when you're saved. And that's something people don't want to talk about. So we won't even get into that one right now. But If you're going to forgive, you're going to have to make a conscious effort to forgive. And God showed me how to do that with my mother. And when she was diagnosed with cervical cancer, it was really hard because I felt like, God, I just got her back. And now she's going to be gone. What am I going to do? I still got all these questions. And I and so I went through my process. But when my mother passed the day, a couple of days before she passed, 
she called all her kids to the house and we all went into her room. I have four brothers, four living brothers. So it was my four brothers, myself, and we got around her bed and my mother began to talk to us and she did something that I will cherish the rest of my life. My mother, instead of making excuses about the things that she did, my mother said to each of her children, I messed up. I made some bad decisions, but I want to hear from you. I want you to tell me how did the decision I make concerning you affect you? And I'm sit- sitting there thinking, what? Why are we having this conversation? You know, what I was expecting was, look, this is what I need you guys to do, blah, 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 blah. But that's, that's not where she started. She started with forgiveness. And she, on her deathbed, gave us the opportunity to deal with our hurt, honestly, openly, to say where we were. And it changed everything for me. It changed everything I thought I knew about her changed in that one moment. I never loved her more than I loved her in that one moment. Because in that moment, she showed humility about what she did. And forgiveness is not about people deserving it. That's not where I'm going. Because people don't have to deserve forgiveness. Because it's, it's not about that. Forgiveness has to be given to them because God said you have to. And because it, it frees you. But her doing that in that room started a healing process for us. It made it possible for us to express what we were feeling, deal with our issues, because you can't forgive people if you don't deal with the issue they caused, because it leaves a seed and it comes up somewhere else. I may say I forgive you, but I might snap at you later. And that's because that thing is still there. So she allowed us to deal with those issues. And that's where forgiveness and healing came in. And it changed me. And it changed how I treated people. It changed how I dealt with forgiveness. It changed how I saw forgiveness. And it let me know that what she did in that room, it wasn't for her. It was for me. And that taught me that forgiveness is not for her. She didn't want that for her. She didn't need that to go. She wasn't asking us for forgiveness. She was asking us to deal with the issue. And when we dealt with the issue, it brought us to forgiveness. And so what she was giving me was forgiveness is for you. These are my last breaths and I'm going to take them using them like this so that you can get what you need. I'm not going to say, I didn't do that. I didn't mean to do that. I'm not going to justify what I did. I'm not going to argue with you. And I'm not going to tell you that how you feel is wrong. I'm just going to let you feel it and deal with it. And that really is where my testimony of forgiveness began and where I started to learn uh, self-esteem. I started to learn my value. I started to learn my worth because I had to figure out that forgiveness meant I was worth it. It didn't mean they were worth it. It meant I was worth it. It meant I deserved to be better, not just to feel better, but to actually be better. And it began to grow. And God started using all of that pain from eight years old to talk to other people about rejection, to talk to them about self-worth, to talk to them about self-esteem and why it's more than what you look like. 
and growing and growing and growing. And then with my kids, I grew and I grew some more and I learned how to give them what I wasn't given. I learned how to always, always hype my kids. I mean, I hype them. I hype, I hype my kids like they are superstars and America know it. Because I always want them to know that I value their gifts. I value who they are as a person. I'm not excited just about Hannah dancing. I'm excited about the woman she is that dances. It's her attributes that make me hype her. Okay, she got skills and she can move, but she also will pray you up under something. I got another son who will pray all over a house. They'll give you a scripture about what you need. I hype them about who they are. And those are things I didn't get when I was little. I didn't have that at-home connection where when I walked out the door, whatever you said to me wasn't going to be that bad because my mother had already told me who I was. Because they didn't cover who I was, you could call me ugly and I believed you because your opinion was just as good as theirs. And then sometimes it was the only opinion I got. And so I learned to do different with my kids. I learned to not tell them, I don't want to hear what you have to say. I learned to communicate with them. I learned to let them tell me this is how I feel. I taught them respect. You have to know how to talk to me, but have the conversation with me? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so it changed everything. And that's where the freedom and the healing came from was I began to do things different. And my mother, my mother said to me something. I I don't share what she told all the other kids. I never share what she told them because I feel like one day we're going to write a whole nother book and they're going to get to tell their piece. But my mother said to me when she was dying, she said, do you know why I'm most proud of you? I said, no, ma'am. She said, because you managed to be everything I wanted to be. And she wasn't, she wasn't talking about books. She wasn't talking about degrees and achievements. She was talking about the value of a person. She was talking about being a mother. And it's what she always wanted to be, which is why she kept having babies. But she never knew how to be. And she said, I'm so proud of you because you figured it out. And that's what I want to leave to my daughter. That's what I want to leave to my sons, that you figured out relationships are about healing. They're about forgiveness. They are not about just throwing people away because you don't like who they are or how they are, but learning to deal with flaws and still loving your family, your loved one, your spouse, whoever it is, figuring out how to do that with love in your heart. And even if you part ways. You don't part ways with hatred. You don't part ways with resentment and anger and bitterness because that stuff eats you alive. And so I, I don't even know if this is what you wanted to talk about, but when I talk about my testimony, God delivered me from the hatred I felt. He delivered me from the self-harm. And no, I wasn't cutting myself but I was telling myself all these terrible things because I was the only person I had to talk to. I was telling myself, you are so dark. That's horrible. You are ugly. Your mom's a prostitute. Your mom did drugs. You're, you're for sure going to be a drug addict. 
You shouldn't even try to do anything different. I was feeding myself all of this stuff and God had to save me and God had to show me that I have so much value that he would send his son. And I didn't understand that when I first got saved. I, I really was confused. I was like, but wait, what, what does that mean? But when I put that in context of my family relationship, then I understood what dads are. I understood what fathers do, even though I never had one. Now I understand what fathers do. And I understood how powerful that love had to be. And if that love is that powerful, then the object of that love has to be that valuable. And I learned it and I learned it and I learned it over and over. God would show me how wonderful I was. And then, then I just messed up. And then it got to the point where you couldn't tell me nothing. You just, you can go on with all of that. I'm not trying to hear you. You can't tell me, listen, you can call me ugly all day. And I'm pretty sure you're talking to you and not me because that can't be possible. And it wasn't that I became conceited. I became confident who I know God made me to be. I became confident in who I see in the mirror. Not because she's perfect, because she's not, but she's who God created. And if he said that I am fearfully and wonderfully made, that's, that's part of the scripture. That's Psalm 139. I think it's the 13th or the 14th verse. He says, You're fear- I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And people quote that all, all the time. But the very next line says, and that my soul knoweth right well. So I don't know what else to tell you. (laughs) It's in the book. I don't know what else to tell you. That's what it says. You can look it up. Psalm 139. And that my soul knoweth right well. And how do I know that? Because of the love he showed and because he's grown me to this place to understand and to see myself the way he sees me. Not to see myself in all of my flaws because I have plenty, but to see myself the way he saw me hanging from the cross, to see myself with blood on me that dripped down from the cross because when he hung there, he was looking directly at me to see me the way he saw me and to still go through with what he went through with means I have to have some crazy value. And nobody else even has to understand it, but I have to know it right well. So I think I'm done. I feel like we need to pass the offering pan. (laughs) (laughs) I think I'm done. So ask me anything you want. Yes. Well, I have known Dr. Radaball for a while. And let me tell y'all, she does not look at all like what she's been through. I would not have known it if she didn't just tell me right now. So (laughs) praise God for that. I feel like you summed it up so good. Some of these questions I'm looking back on, I'm like, well, she, she done answered. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let me see. Okay. Here's a good one. So when you were talking about how, when you were little and you would be, you know, walking into a room and you would kind of overhear um, the grown folks talking or they would get real quiet. Um, what do you think is the line between as parents or guardians being transparent with your kids, but then also trying to protect them? Um, well, that's a real good question because as a parent, I do that a lot. I am very careful about protecting my children, but I am transparent in the places that I feel like they need me to be. And if I'm not, they have the option to ask me because maybe I don't know what's on their mind. And so I'm always leaving the door of communication open with my kids. Well, let's talk about it. How do you feel about that? And is there anything you want to ask me about that? Because maybe I just don't know what's on their heart. And growing up, that just that wasn't an option. After my birth mother left the house, there was no 
Are you okay? Do you have questions about that? Well, what do you think about her? Mama got up. It was time to make dinner. Boom, we're going to eat. We're going to go on with our lives. Told you the part I felt like you needed to know. And they just kept going. And so for me, I think it's important for parents to be transparent to a degree. Because my kids don't know everything I've ever done my entire life. But what they need to know, they know. And if they don't, they know they can ask me. And we have that kind of relationship where when I say to them, I have a question for you. Give me the truth. I don't care what the answer is. I just want to know the answer. My kids know that they can do just that. They can tell me all the details. And I might not want them. I might not like them. But I take them. And that's our that's our give and take. So as a parent, you have to be wise about what you tell your kids because you also don't want to set them up for, well, you did it, so I'm going to do it. If you're going to tell them what you did, you should also tell them the consequences and why it was a bad idea when you did it. It's all in the way you present it, but you should certainly open the doors of communication with your kids. I came up with my own answers, and I don't want my kids to have to come up with their own answers. They don't have to. I'm here. I think you should talk to your kids. So if, if there's at all like any way, I guess, that you could produce good out of hate, do you feel like that hate that you had for your parents caused you to like want better for yourself or to like, you know, go really hard in like the opposite way? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think um, I can tell you that when my friends were smoking and we were in high school and they're like, oh, we're going to a party and we're going to drink and we're going to do this, that and the other. Well, first of all, my mother that raised me, girl, her mind wasn't tight. I knew I couldn't do any of that. I knew if I got in trouble over there, I wouldn't have to go back to school ever. So she was my first Holy Ghost. Okay, (laughs) she kept me. She led, guide and directed. But internally, I always thought there's got to be a gene for that because my father, who was who I thought was my father, he drank a lot. He drank to the point that there was booze uh, in the glove box in the car. There was booze under the seat. Most of the time when I saw him, he was drinking. And so I always thought if my father is an alcoholic and my mother is a drug addict, I have the worst, (laughs) you know, the combination of me drinking and getting high. I'm going to be hooked Mm -hmm. from day one. It's I just couldn't understand how it wasn't possible. And then because of the things I knew my mother was doing and where they landed, her, I knew I didn't want it. And so I avoided those things. I can say at 51, I've never been drunk, not once in my entire life. Now I drink, but I've never been drunk. And I used to go to the club with my little drink in my hand and my girlfriends would get mad and they would tell people, don't like her nothing else. She ain't wasting this good alcohol. I couldn't even finish a drink by myself. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, I didn't have a desire for it. And my looking at where my parents made their choices, I knew that's not who I wanted to be. I knew I didn't want to go down that road. And then hearing the predictions about me as even as a little kid, if you told me I couldn't do something, I had to show you I could. Didn't matter if it was Jack's double Dutch. I, I had to show you, of course I can, because I always felt some sort of inferiority. So I felt like I had to prove myself. And that same mentality went along with you saying she's never going to be anything. You couldn't possibly <laughs> mean me. Watch me. 
And it pushed me in every area of my life. I always set out to do my very, very best, no matter what it cost me. If it meant I couldn't hang out, then I didn't hang out. If it meant I couldn't go here, then I didn't go there. My goals were, I, I can't end up like them. And I didn't know that some parts of their lives were good, but I didn't know that. So based on the pieces I knew about my family, I knew I didn't want it. So it absolutely pushed me and it made me push my kids because my thing with my kids was if I can come from this and make one or two good choices, surely you can make a few good choices. Right. You, you are not dealing with the stuff I have to deal with because I went from that situation with my birth mother and my father to the woman that raised me, mama, she became disabled. And by the time I was 13, I was taking care of her like an adult. So I took, I took those teenage years and I paid bills. I wrote checks. I applied for welfare. I cashed uh, welfare checks. I paid the rent. I did the grocery shopping. I'm 13. So I, my kids already knew you can't even come at me sideways with the words, I can't or I'm not good enough. I'm not even trying to hear that. Mm -hmm. So it absolutely pushed me to just be different and do different and not just in my goals, but in my relationship with my kids. I want it different for them. My mama was not a touchy-feely mom, my mother that raised me. Now, she was a business mom. She took care of us. Everything was taken care of. I knew how to, I knew how to pay bills because of her. But the emotional piece of it, she didn't have that for me. And I didn't know if she didn't have it because she didn't have it or she didn't have it because I wasn't her kid. I don't know what that was, but... I made sure I had it for my daughter. I couldn't go in my mama's room just because there had to be a reason. Delon, go in there and get this and bring this back. I couldn't just bust in the room and lay in her bed and lay all over her. My mama didn't, she just, that wasn't her personality type, but I needed it. So my daughter and all my, all my boys come in, they'll lay on the floor in the room and talk to me, lay at the edge of the bed, come sit in a rocking chair next to me, Sometimes I come home and if Hannah's visiting, I got to say, can you get out of my bed? Can you move? And she's like, can you lay over there? Because I'm over here. And I wanted them to have the things I didn't have emotionally. Mm -hmm. So those, those experiences, they, they pushed me. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. So what advice would you give young eight-year-old Delon now looking back? I would tell eight-year-old Delon to be patient because I think I rushed the process. I wanted the answer so bad. And looking back now, there were some people that were giving me answers. I wasn't patient. I had teachers who backed me. I had teachers who poured into me. And I wasn't patient enough to not make decisions about me. I was hasty when it came to me and I was hasty because I felt like they were hasty. I felt like the people that should have been pouring into me were not, and they were quicker to judge me than to love me. So I would tell, tell eight-year-old Delon to be patient. It's going to get better. And you're going to like her. You're going to like her because I didn't think I would, but I'm pretty dope. <laughs> She's pretty dope, y'all. <laughs> I can tell you it's a fact. <laughs> I'm pretty dope. <laughs> so on the flip side of that, what advice could you give for someone who's raising a child that's 
not theirs. They're stepping in for a family mm-hmm. member or just not even related at all. Um, what advice could you give them to help raise that child, I guess, to the best of their ability, knowing that that kid is still going to, you know, crave their parents, but to be the best that they can? Yeah, I, there's a few things. One of the things, well, a couple of things. One of the things would be first and foremost to be careful about what you say about those other parents. Because what you say will will shape that child's mind about those people and it can breed contempt in them. It can breed self-hate in them, anger, unforgiveness. It can breed bitterness in them. So you should be, I think if they hadn't said the stuff they said about my mom, I might've liked her. It may not have taken me as long as it did to want a relationship with her, but everybody made her such a villain. And on top of that, they compared me to her. That's the next thing is to not compare that child to the mistakes of their parents. You act just like your mama. Don't say that unless that's a good thing. And if it's a bad thing, you don't have to say it to the child, just correct the behavior. So those, those are so important because those made a big difference in how I saw myself. Those things crippled my self-esteem a lot because I heard too much and not enough of what I needed to hear. And so that would be the other thing. Tell them what they need to know. Tell them that your mother loves you. She just can't do it right now. And that's, that's okay. But she loves you. You matter. And, and if you don't believe those things, you think that other parent don't love them, then fine. Don't tell them that piece. But tell them you love them. And do everything you can to nurture the pieces you know they're missing. If that missing piece is hugs and kisses, then you need to go overboard. You need, you need to make sure they have that. Do everything you can because, yeah, they're going to they're gonna crave their family. It's just, it's your instinct. It's just natural. My mama had to learn that my relationship with my birth mother had nothing to do with me and her. She was very jealous because she's like, I raised you and I took care of you and I did I, and now you want to, but she had to know it wasn't about us. That piece I needed and I needed her support in me getting that piece. You have to support that child when they crave that peace, even if you think it's going to get them hurt, because it might. But you, you can't make decisions for them. And real quick, I'll tell you that my birth mother made a decision for me that really, again, to this day is causing me some problems. Who my real father was, she decided she didn't want me to have anything to do with him because of something that happened between them. Her making that decision on my behalf cost me because now he's gone. I should have made that decision because if I can love you and you're not the relationship we should have had, I can love him. You don't make that decision for me. And my mother making that decision, even though she thought it was a good decision, she took my choices and she didn't have a right to do that parent or no parent. Mm -hmm. Let me decide I don't want to be bothered with him. And then I deal with that. But when you take my choices, then you leave me vulnerable because now here I am at 51 still taking DNA tests because you said he was my dad, but the DNA test said something different. But now he's gone. You're gone. 
Who do I ask? How is it I'm 51 and I'm an orphan again? Mm. Because of a decision you made. So if you're raising somebody else's kid, if you're a step parent, whatever the case, if you're not even related, be very careful about how you love that child and the choices you make for them. And take your feelings out of it and know that they are going to make some decisions that are going to hurt your feelings. But they need to make those decisions. They need to find out who they are, good or bad. They need it. And they can close that piece of the chapter. I am 51 and I cannot fill out a family tree for my kids. One side of the tree is blank. Because I'm still trying to figure out who this other side of me is. And I would know it if people had not made decisions for me. And it's not easy raising somebody else's kid. My mother did an amazing job taking care of me, knowing that I wasn't hers. But she made some mistakes, too. And those mistakes broke my heart. And they made me feel unlovable when you say things like, well, if it hadn't been for me, I'm the reason, blah, 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 blah. Well, if it was left up to your mama, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And those things broke me. And so you have to be very careful, but you can love a child that's not yours and you can love them like they're yours. Your heart just has to be in, in the right place to do it. And they will know that you love them and nobody can change who you are. Me having my birth mother couldn't change who, who mama was to me, but the opposite is also true. My mama could never be my birth mother and it didn't take anything away from either one of them. I loved them both. I needed them both. And I needed those pieces to come together so I could figure out who I was. So I, I think any parent can do it. They just have to do it carefully. It takes a lot of prayer and you have to watch your words because you can damage a child and think you're doing something good for them. Yeah, that's great advice. Thank you for that. Um, so tell us a little bit about the book, what, what we can expect and when it comes out. I'm so excited about this book. There's two parts to it. So the book comes out. Uh, my target date is July 1st. I am that's in a couple, that's in a couple of days. No, okay, no. Okay. I'm, look, I'm working. I'm working. Right. My target date is to have it available um, July 1st, but autographed copies will be the following week because I want them to get them directly from me. Um, so this book is about the steps that are required to heal to deal with your unforgiveness and real steps, not just saying I forgive, but figuring out what was your part in this situation? What did you do that allowed you to take on the blame of whatever happened? Because sometimes unforgiveness is about, we fault ourselves, I should have known better and dealing with those pieces of it and dealing with uh, being intentional. And my book lays out a strategy that you can follow to help you get to a place of healing, to help you get to a place of freedom, to get free from stuff that happened when you were eight. There is a process and the Bible gives us strategies. And so there's some strategies. And there's also some women in the book who will talk very openly about uh, betrayal in relationships, uh, betrayal in the church, on their jobs, in friendships, in romantic settings. And so they're going to talk about all those different areas and how they got better or if they got better. You won't know until you read the book. <laughs> so the other part, part two of that is while I was also working on that, God gave me a course. 
So I have created a 21 day challenge and it's called 21 day own your worth challenge. Proven strategies to help you overcome pity, to help you overcome feelings of inadequacy, to stop the blame game, to change a negative mindset into a positive mindset and to become who you really, really are outside of what you've been through. I'm so excited about it. So, so excited about it. I will be launching that. And it is an, um, an interactive class. I will be responding and talking to all the um, students in the class and giving feedback and coaching them because I am also a certified coach. I will be coaching them on the process to get them through that. And the goal is to help women who have been betrayed, women who have been rejected, who have been damaged to reclaim their worth. And so that class is just a push that goes with the book. They both work independently, but it's just another piece of the puzzle. It's going to come pretty soon. And all of this is available at my website. More information about the book and the class is on my website at www.shevictory.com. Yes, this is so exciting. I'm excited for your new book. I definitely need an autographed copy. And Got it. Probably, probably give away a few on the, um, to some of the listeners. And the 21 Day Challenge sounds exciting too. So I am so happy that you took time out of your busy day. I feel like it's been a while. So <laughs> thank you for not being stingy, stingy with your time. So Absolutely. I really appreciate you coming on and being so open and honest. And yeah, I'm excited. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Testimony Service Podcast. So I'm giving away three autographed copies of Dr. Radabaugh's new book, Breaking Free. So there's a few different ways you can enter to win. The first is if you share this episode on social media and tag Testimony Service on Facebook and Instagram. And if you would, screenshot that and email it to me so I can know for sure who it is, how to reach out to you, get your address, all that good stuff. Number two, leave an honest review on Apple Podcasts. Also screenshot that. I need your email address so I can contact you and make sure the book gets to you if you win. And for those of y'all who aren't all the way saved and sanctified, y'all still rocking with Android, you don't have Apple Podcasts, you can email me your review. Uh, my email is martina at testimonyservicepod.com. Um, the deadline is going to be July 11th, and I will announce the winners two weeks from now on episode 16. So... Even if you listen to this episode late, you have until July 11th. And as always, here's a sneak peek of next week's episode. Be fruitful and multiply. And so that was always constantly heavy on me. And I thought I was not a, a real woman. I wasn't whole. Something was wrong with me. I really broke before the Lord and I got angry and I got upset with him. And when you in the church, people tell you, don't do that. You can't say you can't talk to God that way. You can't just go off on him. You, you just got to take it. You got to take it.